Kurt was speaking at a junior high camp, and the mistake he made is that he was speaking the week that I was the first aid guy, which meant that I had a universal key and could get into his little apartment anytime I wanted to. So that night, um, me and my buddy uh, uh, snuck into his little apartment where he was sleeping. You know, he wrote his message in there. We set our alarms. We got up at 2.30 in the morning. And uh, I got my buddy Chad, and he had brought a bat mask. And he put this bat mask on, and uh, I grabbed a video camera, and we snuck into Kurt's room and swung open the door, and Chad yelled, Be very afraid! And I was really impressed with what Kurt did after we peeled him off the ceiling. Uh, <laughs> he actually didn't speak in any Greek or Hebrew. He just went, smacked his pillow, and went, Oh, you guys! But I just thought it was so funny scaring that guy. But I want to tell you, today's message is not about Halloween, I promise. I'm not up here to talk about Halloween. But as you can probably see with your outline, I am borrowing that famous question posed to us on the, on the evening of every October 31st. Um, our doorbell rings. We open the door. We see kids dressed in various costumes. And they hold out some sort of bag and they say, Trick or treat! Trick or treat! And uh, when I was little, I had this guy go, what's your trick? And I was like, I wasn't prepared for that. But I've always wanted to ask that. What's your trick? Has any kids ever processed that? What's your trick? You know, are you going to juggle some pumpkins? Can you make my neighbor's cat disappear? You can have a whole bucket of candy if you can do that. You're going to walk on your hands. What are you going to do? Or is the trick some sort of uh, mischief that, that, that they do? Are they going to get out there and let the air out of my tires and my car? Are they going to TP our house? Are they going to salt my yard, which I've seen done. That's no fun. Um, or are they going to egg our home? The only thing I do know is that as long as they get the treat, or the, the treat, yeah, I, I don't get the trick, and maybe that's a good thing. Well, each Sunday, we pass a bag around this auditorium. It's kind of interesting to watch your faces as that goes around, because some of you are thinking, man, is this a trick or a treat? Do I put something in this bag to avoid some sort of trick on God's behalf? Should I put it in for that reason? Or is putting something in the bag a trick in the first place? And what's the treat? Is there a treat? Well, if you look on your introduction, it says this. It says, is, is giving money to a church a trick or a treat? Today we'll read what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church over this tricky matter and explore what treats are in store when and if we choose to give. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I just ask that this morning um, that you would just bind the enemy from this place, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill it, and that my words would be your words, Lord, that, uh, that we could leave here challenged and blessed. And I ask that in your name. Amen. Amen. One of the reasons why uh, Paul wrote the letter to uh, the, the, the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, was to remind them that as a church they had made a dedication to support financially the Christians who lived in Jerusalem. And um, we're going to jump into this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. And this is the Living Bible Translation, so you can follow this along on the board behind me unless you have that translation. But verse 1 says this. Paul says, Now I want to tell you what God in his grace has done for the churches in Macedonia. It's important to note that Macedonia is just, a nor- is just north of Greece. And Corneth uh, was actually a city kind of in the bottom part of Greece. So these cities weren't too far apart, but Paul begins by talking about what the Christians in Macedonia were doing. He says, Though they have been going through, uh, through much trouble and hard times, they have mixed their wonderful joy with their deep poverty. 
And the result has been an overflow of giving to others. They gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And I can testify that they did it because they wanted to, and not because of nagging on my part. They begged us to take the money so that they could share in the joy of helping the Christians in Jerusalem. You see, at this point in history, uh, Jerusalem uh, was under siege, not by an army, but by a terrible famine. And so the Christians down there uh, needed money to not just buy food for themselves, but to, to buy food for other people so they could continue, con- what am I trying to say here, continue the work of the church down in Jerusalem. So the famine wasn't a good thing, and these people gathered together and sent money to them. You see, Paul wrote this letter to the Corinthians because he understood that giving changes lives. When we give, lives get changed. And that's your first treat. That's treat number one. Giving changes lives. A few years back, I, um, I, I read through this study called A Look at the Harvest, and it was done, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. And one of the things that it pointed out in there is that, is that there is a spiritual famine in the Northwest. Right here in Spokane Valley, uh, 70 to 80% of the city is unchurched. They don't go anywhere Sunday mornings. They don't go to church. Yet God wants the people of Spokane Valley uh, to taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Psalms 34, 8. God wants the people in our city to taste and see that he is good and that he loves them, that he cares about them. Your gift and your giving to this church is an opportunity for people to taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an opportunity. Let me give some examples of how I've seen this at work. Um, One evening while Kurt was speaking, uh, a young man came in, and I was kind of standing in the back, and he came up, up to me with a handful of cash. And he said, dude, man, I've done some bad stuff. Can you take this money and put in a good word for me? <laughs> I'm going, wow, you don't know my past, do you? you know? And what's interesting is we didn't take his money, but he did stay during that service. And this guy got saved. He met Jesus that night. And for weeks following that, he'd come, and during worship, he'd just sit and cry and weep and cry. And, and this guy has gotten involved in serving in this church. Uh, he attends Alpha. And one of the hugest blessings I saw uh, in his life was that he, for the first time in his life, got his own place, his own apartment. And he just said, man, I don't have anything. I don't have anything to put in it. And a bunch of you heard about it. And you filled his apartment. This guy has been blessed. He came and he saw and he tasted that the Lord is good. I talked to a dad last week who um, he said, man, I had a hard time with my son last night. He was being naughty and I had to send him up to his room and I was so mad at him. I was so angry. I was going to go up there and ground him until he's 18. You know, and, and he said, but I learned in Alpha that I should sit down and maybe read the Bible and look up things like anger and love and peace and whatnot when stuff like that happens. And so he did that and he went up there. He said, man, I had the most wonderful time with my son. We just hugged each other and told each other we loved each other. We said we're sorry. And you guys, he learned that because of your generosity to support a class called Alpha. He came, he saw, he tasted that the Lord is good. I don't know if you've noticed, but we love giving things out at the end of services. You know, I, didn't even, I was trying to list everything that we've done. You know, I don't, we've given out, what, mirrors and crosses and magnets and all these different things. And, and um, in one story I heard... Uh, a person, uh, we, we handed out these white purity bands. Do you remember those? 
And this person wears that band every week to remind herself that, that she, uh, she's under God's forgiveness and that she's dedicating herself to be pure. She came and she saw and she tasted that the Lord is good. I have a men's group that meets on Mondays. I've got a guy who's retired that's in our group. I just love him. I love his faith. I love his heart. And uh, in all of his years of attending church, this is his first home church. And uh, <clears throat> when he talks about it, he tears up. And this is a guy who's, I mean, this is not uh, uh, some, uh, some weak little man. <laughs> this is a big dude. This is a man, man. You know, this is a big guy. You know, and, and he tears up and he cries because he, he's like, man, this is the first place I've come that I can call home. This is the first place that I've really grown close to Jesus. This is the first place that I can really say that I have brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's because he tasted and he came and he saw that the Lord is good. We've got life groups that come uh, to here and they meet during the week because they've overgrown their home. And because of your generosity, they can meet and they can taste and see that the Lord is good. We've got a youth program, you guys, where students, literally this is happening, students are coming and the first night they visit, they get saved. And they continue to come, they continue, they continue to grow, they continue to participate in what those youth ministries are doing. They tasted and saw that the Lord was good. We have the East Point Festival. Do you guys enjoy that every year? you guys enjoy that every year? Isn't that good? We, I love that festival. We do a variety of different things in the church budget. It's, we budget for that. We do youth programs. We do stuff for adults. We do all sorts of different things. But one of my favorite things at the end of that is we get to sit and we get to watch people get baptized at our festival finale. And I, I just love watching spouses baptize one another. I love watching moms and dads baptizing their kids, entire families dedicating their life to Christ and showing and expressing that faith to us. I could go on and on. The Lord is using East Point to change lives. And when you give to this church, you are sharing in the joy of reaching this city for Jesus Christ. Do you know that, uh, that God doesn't want you to waste your money? Do you know that? He doesn't want you to waste your money. In fact, uh, he doesn't want you to waste your time, your effort, and your money on things that don't matter. And I get that from Isaiah 55 too, where it says this, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Now, I actually like the uh, King James wording a little better because it ends by saying, uh, Let your soul delight itself in fatness. Well, I'm gonna do, I, I'll do this. When I, when I, my wife's laughing because she knows what's coming. I, I, I grew up reading the King James Bible. My brother was really into drama. We were, I was into drama growing up, and we would read these passages in Shakespearean English. <clears throat> so here you go. Is it on the board behind me? Okay, there we go. Okay, it can pop up. I'm always nervous when I do this. Okay. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor? For that which satisfieth not, hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. My brother was better at it, that's for sure. 
You guys, spend the resources that God has given you to make an eternal difference. That's God's heart for you. Spend those to make an eternal difference. It's a treat. It'll feed your soul. It'll feed your soul, and it'll feed the souls of others. Give to East Point because God is using this body of Christ to change lives here in the valley. Let's read on. In verses 5 and 6, I'm just going to summarize these. Paul, uh, he reminds the Corinthians that they started putting together some money to help these Christians in Jerusalem to help with this famine, but their efforts sort of faded. And so in verse 7, Paul says this, You people there, that is the Corinthians in Corinth, you people are leaders in so many ways. You have so much faith, so many good preachers, so much learning, so much enthusiasm, so much love for us. Now, I want you to be leaders also in the spirit of cheerful giving. I am not giving you an order. I'm not saying you must do it, but others are eager for it. This is one way to prove that your love is real, that it, go, that it goes beyond mere words. You know how full of love and kindness our Lord Jesus was. Though he was so very rich, yet to help you, he became so very poor, so that by being poor, he could make you rich. The second treat is this. Giving is an expression of your faith. Giving is an expression of your faith. In fact, in our culture, giving money doesn't just say you believe in something. Giving money shouts it. It shouts it. As Paul said, giving our money is one way that we show that our love is for real. And nothing says this matters to me like sacrifice. And in our culture, financial sacrifice. You know, faith is an interesting thing. Hebrews 11.1 says this. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of the proof of things not seen. I, uh, if you know me at all, I love this little passage because I've done a word study on that. And, and where it says faith is a substance, that word substance is hypostasis. And what it means is reality. It means substantial reality. Faith is the thing that you see as true, as real. It's the thing that you are basing your life on and your philosophy of life on. That's what faith is. And with this idea of faith in mind, Paul sets the example of Christ before the Corinthians and before us. And he says, look how real Jesus' faith was. Look how he sacrificed. Think about this, you guys. Jesus possessed the wealth of the universe. He possessed the wealth of the universe, and he gave it all up to be born a man. And not a wealthy man. The guy wasn't born up at Sacred Heart's birth center, you know, and Joseph wasn't up there sipping on coffee, watching cable, and, you know, they weren't ready to do a C-section or anything. You know what I mean? I mean, it's that Jesus was born in a barn on hay. He was born into absolute poverty with only his parents there to attend him. He slept in a feeding trough. You know, during his 30-year stay on this earth, he never owned a place to lay his head. The Bible actually says that. At the end of his earthly life, he was so poor that he had nothing to offer his mother. And upon his dying death, he had to ask a friend to care for her. Before he was crucified, the soldiers even took his clothes. At his death, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Jesus lived and died owing nothing of this world or its goods. 
Yet in Hebrew, in Hebrews 12.4 or 12.2, we're encouraged to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus believed in what he was doing. And he set a great example of sacrifice for all of us. In fact, at a profound level, he expressed his faith, his reality. He became poor so you and I could become rich. When I was 21, I, was, uh, I got saved when I was 15, but when I was 21, I actually started giving uh, to, to a church I was attending down in the Tri-Cities. And um, a few years later, I started tithing, the practice of tithing. I'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, I moved up here in, in 92, 93, something like that, and started attending Life Center Church. And I just, that was my first home church. I love Life Center. I, I love Joe. I love what's going on down there. And, and I would take vacation time to serve down there in the ministries that I was serving. And I just love giving to the Lord down there. Not long after Heather and I got married, Heather and I resigned from our jobs and um, we cut our income by over half in order to go into full-time ministry. And uh, I've got to be honest, you know, I thought I was uh, getting this giving thing down. Boy, I'm sacrificial. Glory to me. <laughs> A couple of years into ministry, after all this sacrifice, uh, there was something that really started to eat at me. See, I was sort of angry at God. I had a horrendous back pain. Found out that I'd broken my back when I was little, and I started having problems with that. That wasn't very fun. Uh, in the midst of remodeling our house, I tore my shoulder and had to get surgery. That was a great time, wasn't it, honey? Um, needless to say, we lived in sort of a dump because we were gutting it. And when I hurt my shoulder, we had no kitchen, and we're washing our, our uh, dishes in the bathtub. So you may not want to come over and eat something at our house. <laughs> We use soap, though, okay? <laughs> On top of all that, we were told we, uh, we'd probably never have children of our own. Let me tell you, when you've got all that beaten against you, it's not very fun being a pastor, you know, going to church and saying, Boy, follow the love and joy of Jesus Christ. I am really miserable. <laughs> Deep in my heart, I caught myself saying something. And it was more of a scream than a question. I just said, come on, God. Come on, what's in it for me? What is in it for me? Look at what I've given. And Jesus led me to this passage in John 14. He said, Brian, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. See, in all my sacrifice, I expected to be healed. I expected to be financially blessed. I expected extreme job, job satisfaction, and I expected to be pregnant with twins every 10 months, you know? <laughs> Heather probably didn't. Um, Come on, God. If I scratch your back, won't you scratch mine? That's what was in here. But in my time with the Lord, I heard that soft, still voice of his just saying, Brian, I don't give as the world gives. 
I don't give like that. If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You see, the main thing we get in return in following Christ is freedom. Freedom from ourselves. The main thing Jesus did for me is he began to free me from me and all of the garbage in my life that I thought I needed in order to have life. Freedom is what Jesus is about. Freedom to have peace in the midst of trials. Freedom from getting stuck in repetitive sin. Freedom from defining our self-worth on whether or not we're married or we have kids or we're making big money or we've got a new home or we drive a new car or we've got that important title at work or at school. Freedom from holding on to things that we mistaken for real life. In all of my expectations of God, I never dreamed that the thing he would free me from was myself. Maybe that's why Jesus said this, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do you know that, uh, that when you're born, newborn babies make fists? You ever notice that? <laughs> go to the nursery. Go serve in the nursery. We get some newborns, they're making fists in there. <laughs> but when you die, what happens to your hands? They open. Open. When I began to deal with the what's in it for me approach to my life, the thing I started to do was watch for what I had my hand wrapped around. What I had uh, just that fist wrapped around. The thing I just didn't want to let go. And as I did this, an interesting thing happened as I realized I was holding on to things too tightly, my question went, or changed, I should say, from what's in it for me to am I dead yet? Have I died? Is this something I need to give to you, God? Because I need your help to open my hand. Dying is the only way I'd ever let go. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It sure seems like we've uh, had a, uh, at least the last year where uh, our cost of living has gone up a little bit. Anybody notice that? Hmm? I'm like, man, can't afford to put gas in my cars. Homes cost more. Heating them costs more, right? Power costs more. Driving costs more. And we want to hold on to whatever money we've got left. Amen? We're like, come on. I still want to have a date night or go buy that thing. And so we Make that fist around that money and we hold on to it. But you guys, we need to let go of it. We need to honor God first with our money. And when we do that, we go beyond words of faith and we express our faith. We let go. We die. I'm going to end this point the way I began it. In our culture, giving money doesn't just say you believe in something. It shouts it shouts it and this leads to our final treat treat number three giving is not about the amount but about the heart it's about the heart let's read on verse 10 paul said i want to suggest that you finish what you started to do a year ago for you were not only the first to propose this idea of helping the christians in jerusalem but the first to begin doing something about it 
having started the ball rolling so enthusiastically, you should carry this project through to completion just as gladly, giving whatever you can out of whatever you have. Let your enthusiastic idea at the start be equaled by your enthusiastic action now. If you're really eager to give, then it isn't important how much you have to give. God wants you to give what you have, not what you haven't. About a year ago, we got the ball rolling on this new building. Many of you were here in that. And we had this enthusiastic, just crazy idea of more space. Because we were at the other building, you know, which was like a little, I mean, it's just, what was it before? It was a, like, well, I can't remember. What, Discovery Zone, that's what it was. It was. And we could only hold maybe 200 people in the main auditorium, and we were filling it up. So we had this crazy idea of more space. So uh, we came here, and we looked at this empty uh, part of Kmart, 30,000 square feet, and we began this uh, awesome idea of remodeling it so we could have more room for people who want to just come and see what Jesus is about, more room for our kids' ministry, more room, a bigger stage for our performing arts. Some other just uh, huge ideas we had is we wanted to hire a full-time youth director. Well, we did that this September, and you guys, I'm telling you, it's amazing. Our attendance in our junior high and our senior high, both those have tripled in about a month, month and a half. It's been worth it. It's worth it. We hired a part-time facility uh, director because 30,000 square feet is not easy to maintain. We budget programs like Alpha, where you come and you just explore the Christian faith, and it's worth it. We provide space for life groups to meet if, if they outgrow their home or wherever they're meeting. We continue to give in our benevolence fund and our, and our uh, missionaries. We, we give into that. But we've got other ideas we still want to accomplish, and one is that we want to pay off the remainder of the cost of this building. A, a lot of you that weren't here when we built this, do you know that we did this for around $300,000? 300, that's amazing, in case you just don't know that. That's a, that's a miracle that we did that. And it's because a lot of people came and didn't just give money. They gave, gave their time and painted and stuff. I'd, I'd leave here with like 30 people covered in paint after the end of the day. But we've, got, we've only got 60000 or something left in that. We want to pay that off. We want to expand the size and number of our restrooms. Amen? Yeah, there we go. Let's worship. Yeah. <laughs> We want to make those restrooms a little more uh, wheelchair-friendly. We really need to make some changes in the entrances and stuff so that, so that those of you that are in wheelchairs, we can uh, serve you in that way. We want to remodel the patio to include a playground. And, uh, you know, I've got two toddlers at home, and amen, glory to that. want to see that happen. We want to see more room for the youth because, honestly, it's, they're growing to the point where we need to kind of decide what to do with that space back there because they're filling it. Um, we want to expand our adult ministries and our spiritual growth classes. And here's my personal favorite. Do you know what Pastor Kurt is really good at? He's really good at being a pastor. And Kurt, God bless him, spends probably half his time doing the administrative stuff for this church. Doing stuff that, uh, just sitting down and dealing with numbers and what is the legality of that, the legality of this. And you guys, I, for my friend Kurt, the thing I want to see him is just released into doing what he's best at, which is teaching us and pastoring us and just free from it. I think that that's a good vision. I think that that's a good vision. So let's finish what we've started here. Remember, it's not about the amount. It's not. We just need to begin 
by just giving whatever we can out of whatever we have. You know, right after college, I started giving $50 a month to this church. Um, Not this church, but the church I was attending. And it's what I thought I could afford at the time, and it's what I really wanted to give. And I saw, I guess I saw that God was a giver, so I wanted to be a giver. When I understood what Jesus did for me, I, I, I just wanted to give something back. That was my heart, and I know $50 wasn't much, but it was a starting point for me. It really was. And my challenge to you is Paul's challenge to the Corinthians. Be realistic in what you can give and be eager to give it. For God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. In fact, looking back in my walk, I can see God taking me just through this short little sequence. One was a starting point, the next was a target, and the last thing was a goal. And the starting point for me was just picking some amount and just giving it on a regular basis. And for me, it was 50 bucks. I gave $50 amount. And I really recommend, if you are not giving anything, try this. I don't care if it's $5, $25, $50. It doesn't matter. But, but start at something. Our average per giving per adult per month uh, is about 83 bucks, something like that, $83. So if you've never given before, I think use that as maybe a target. Maybe give $40 a month. Just, you know, that would increase our budget by 50% if everybody gave 50% more of that on average. But start. Give something and give it on a regular basis. This is something the Lord wants us to do. The next thing the Lord kind of showed me was just a basic target. And this is the principle of tithing. That's giving 10% of your income. And it took, me, it took time for me to understand this. I went, man, Lord, you know, you know adding that up going, dang, Lord. That's some dough, you know. And uh, I, I, I tried to find reasons, you know, to not, to not see this principle in Scripture. But, you know, it's kind of all the way through the Old Testament. It's even talked about in the New. And the thing that convinced me of it the most was that it's called a, you know, this is some jargon, but it's a pre-Mosaic principle. Before the law, the tithe was, was being practiced by those who loved God and were following God. They were giving their first fruits to God, which was 10%. That's a principle in Scripture. That was a target that God put on my heart. And I'm still working on the last piece, which is the ultimate goal. That is understanding that all I have belongs to Christ. Everything I have belongs to Jesus. And this is where I begin to struggle with the what's in it for me thing all over again. But everything I have belongs to Christ. One thing that comforts me is, is that Peter, he asked Jesus, hey, what's in it for us? He asked him that. Do you know that? In Matthew 19, Peter said, hey, Lord, we left everything to follow you. What then will be there uh, for us? Huh? What are we going to get out of this? I can just see Peter asking that. Come on, Lord, we've done it. We've given up everything. We get this. What are we going to get back? I love what Jesus says. He goes, I tell you, I tell you the truth. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. God is saying, you know what? I'm going to make this eternally worth it for you. There's a blessing that comes with this, you guys. God's going to make it eternally worth it for us. I want to invite the band to come back up. Giving, giving is eternally worth it. So give whatever you can out of whatever you have. You know, Scripture says a lot about money. It does. There are principles on how to spend that money. There are principles on how to make money. 
There's principles on how to give money. It says a lot. And I want to encourage you to learn more about this topic. Wrestle with this. Because whether you are uh, a low-income person or a high-income person, we live in a part of the world where everyone, comparatively, is a high-income person. (laughs) My dad grew up in India in a mission compound. I could show you some interesting pictures from what they had. There's just nothing. We are wealthy compared to the rest of this world. But Kurt has, has uh, done a couple of great messages on money, and I just I think we got them up on the board. But uh, it's Voyages of Faith, Part 5, what to do when you, uh, when, when you don't have much to offer. Um, and then A Long Life's Road, Part 7, Money. And uh, I told the information table about that, the CD area. And um, if you're interested in picking those up and you want to explore this topic a little more, get them, get them. In these messages, Kurt just goes beyond the starting point that I talked about today. He explores how you can really, truly invite God into your finances. Jesus said in Matthew 6:21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You guys, it's not about the amount. Paul makes that clear. It's about your heart. It's about our hearts. So are you asking, what's in it for me? Or are you asking, Lord... Have I died in this area yet? Do I need to let go? In just a moment, we're going to stand together and we're going to give while we worship. It's not some trick, okay? The staff's not going to meet afterward and split the money nine different ways, okay? (laughs) We're not going to do that. That money is dedicated to expand the kingdom of Jesus Christ right here in Spokane. That's what it's dedicated for. So let's stand together and let's give while we worship Jesus.